Father, as we just gather around the scriptures and we talk a little bit, mostly I talk and you others listen, um, would you help us? Would you give clarity of thought? Would you penetrate our beings? Um, may you help us to be faithful to that which you've called us to. In a world that is so fragile, so mobile, so moving all over the place. Help us. Be that anchor for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you want to open your Bibles your, or your tablets or your phone or, or look at the screen, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Let me get there myself. This is the last bit of the Sermon on the Mount, um, this great body of teaching that Jesus gave that has been so crucial to our faith. And so we've been doing this little series on what does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus within the kingdom of God, within our current context of where we find ourselves. And um, to remind ourselves that we, when we say we want to live like disciples of Jesus, what are we saying? We're saying we want to become like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to do the things that Jesus does. Um, we want to be Jesus' hands and feet and body on the earth. So when people see us, they, <coughs> excuse me, they see a representation of Jesus in the church in Antioch when they called the disciples Christians for the first time was because they couldn't find a word to describe these people, but they were like Jesus. And so that's, that's the goal of what we are wanting to achieve, and that's a lifelong endeavor as we allow God to work in us. So we've been doing this series, looking at a whole bunch of different things, and I'm going to bring it a close tonight, except for one talk which will be in January when uh, Wazalewski. Aaron finishes off Sabbath, so he's got a second part to do there. So let's read, and start chapter 7, read from verse 12. So in everything, this is bringing to conclusion all this great body of, of teaching that Jesus brought. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So the summing up of everything is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that saying was a pretty common saying in those times, but it was always in the negative. Don't do to others as you don't want them to do to you. And Jesus is saying, no, we need to act towards others as you would want them to act towards you. Don't do is a passive, I don't have to do anything. And Jesus is flipping that common statement and saying, no, I want you to act toward people as you would want them to act toward you which is kind of another take on love your neighbor as yourself. If you know what you want, if you love yourself and you care for yourself and your motivation is right, that's how we love our neighbors, love one another. And who's our neighbor? Everyone you come into contact with, that's your neighbor. So we're called to love, the, love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. Do unto others, act toward them the way you would want them to act toward you. This is a summary of everything. Love others. The ethic of God's kingdom, of God's people, is to love. We, we can never get away from that. We call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's three, at least three we've got there. 
Love one another. This is how people know that you're my disciples. I love you have for one another, so we've got to love one another. Then Jesus said, you better love your enemies as well. And then husbands and wives better love each other. Do everything that you do, do in love. Anything left out? The ethic of God's kingdom is that we are called to love. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. We are called to love. And love is not a, this feeling. I feel like I love Thomas today because he did good toward me. No. I love Thomas. My intention is to do him good. That's what the word love, that agape word. My intention is to do good toward Thomas. That's why I'm going to love. So at every level, that's the way I'm meant to live. Every day, every minute of every day. You know, that's how we're called to live. Now, we don't get there. We're not perfect. But that's the ethic of God's kingdom. For God so loved the world. That's, that was the ethic. He wants us to pick that up. We do unto others what we want them to do unto us. So if you like to cuss at yourself, well, then cuss someone else and then see what they do. You will feel it. But no, we act kindly. We act justly, etc., etc., towards others. Um, is that all right? Because it can say a lot about that, but I'm, I'm not going to go much further on that. Just... Tomorrow, say, how can I act in love toward another person, whoever I come into contact with? Enter through. So we're gonna, what we're going to get here is we're going to get four pairs, four, set, four comparisons, pairs of these four things. We'll look at them one in detail, two briefly, and then the third one to close off. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate... And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. It's quite a, a challenging piece of text. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read something to you. Is that all right? Because this is John Stott. Anyone heard of John Stott? He's a great English theologian. He died a number of years ago. Incredible man. Um, and this is his, t his stuff he did on Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read this part to you and then we'll, we'll talk about the other bits. What is immediately striking about these verses is the absolute nature of the choice before us. We would all prefer to be given many more choices than only one, or better still, to fuse them all into a conglomerate religion thus eliminating the need for any choice. But Jesus cuts across our easygoing syncretism. He will not allow us the comfortable solutions we propose. Instead, he insists that ultimately there is only one choice because there are only two possibilities to choose from. <clears throat> First, there are two ways. This concept is found already in the Old Testament. Psalm 1, for example, contrasts the way of the righteous who delight in God's law, bear fruit and prosper, with the way of the wicked who are driven like chaff before the wind and perish. Now Jesus elaborates the picture. One way is easy. The word means broad, spacious, roomy. And some manuscripts combine these images and call this way wide and easy. There is plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. <clears throat> it is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. 
Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in, in its fullness. Superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, um, these things do not have to be learned or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them. No effort is required to practice them. That is why the broad road is easy. The hard way, on the other hand, is narrow. Its boundaries are clearly marked. Its narrowness is due to something called divine revelation, which restricts pilgrims to the confines of what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good. C.S. Lewis described in his autobiography how as a schoolboy of 13, he began to broaden his mind. I was soon, in the famous words, altering I believe to one does feel. And oh, the relief of it. From the tyrannous noon of revelation, I passed into the cool evening twilight of higher thought, where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to, believe, to be believed except what was either comforting or exciting. It is a fact that revealed truth imposes a limitation on what Christians may believe and reveal goodness on how we may behave. And in a sense, this is hard. Yet in another sense, it point, as pointed out centuries ago, Christ's hard and narrow way is also to be welcomed as his easy yoke and light burden. Secondly, there are two gates. The gate leading to the easy way is wide, for it is a simple matter to get on the easy road. There is evidently no limit to the luggage we can take with us. We need leave nothing behind, not even our sins, self-righteousness, or pride. The gate leading to the hard way, on the other hand, is narrow. One has to look for it to find it. It is easy to miss. As Jesus said in another connection, it is as narrow as a needle's eye. Further, in order to enter, enter it, we must leave everything behind. Sin, selfish ambition, covetousness, even if necessary, family and friends. For no one can follow Christ who has not first denied himself. The entry is also a turnpike gate. It has to be entered one by one. How can we find it? Well, it is Jesus himself. I am the door, he said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Thirdly, there are two destinations. We have already seen this foreshadowed in Psalm 1. We're prospering and perishing are the alternatives. <coughs> Excuse me. Moses made it clearer still. See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Similarly, Jesus taught that the easy way entered by the wide gate leads to destruction. He did not define what he meant by this, and presumably the precise nature of it is much beyond our finite understanding as the precise nature of heaven. But the terrible word destruction seems to seems at least to give us liberty to say that everything good will be destroyed in love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace and hope, and that forever. It is a prospect too awful to contemplate without tears, for the broad road is a suicide road. By contrast, the hard way entered by the narrow gate leads to life, even to that eternal life which Jesus explained in terms of fellowship with God, beginning here, but perfected hereafter, in which we see 
and share his glory and find perfect fulfillment as human beings in the selfless service of him and of our fellows. And fourthly, there are two crowds. Entering by the wide gate and traveling along the easy road to destruction are many. The broad and easy road is a busy thoroughfare, thronged by pedestrians of every kind. The narrow and hard way which leads to life, however, seems to be comparatively deserted. Those who find it a few. Jesus seems to have anticipated that his followers would be, or at least would appear to be and feel themselves to be, a despised minority movement. He saw multitudes on the broad road, laughing and carefree with apparently no thought for the dreadful end to which they were heading. While on the narrow road, there is just a happy band of pilgrims, hand in hand, backs turned upon sin, and faces set toward the celestial city, singing songs of expectation, marching to the promised land. <sighs> to recapitulate, there are, according to Jesus, only two ways, hard and easy. There is no middle way. Entered by two gates, broad and narrow. There's no other gate. Trodden by two crowds, large and small. There is no neutral group. Ending in two destinations, destruction and life, there is no third alternative. It is hardly necessary to comment that such talk is extremely unfashionable today. People like to be uncommitted. Every opinion poll allows not only for a yes or a no answer, but for a convenient don't know. Men are lovers of Aristotle and of his golden mean. The most popular path is the via media. To deviate from the middle way is to risk being dubbed an extremist or a fanatic. Everybody resents being faced with the necessity of a choice, but Jesus will not allow us to escape it. Quite profound and powerful, eh? Um, something just to think through. Um, I might send it out just so you can read it again. So this first pair that we are given is this, the pair of the narrow and the wide gates and all its implications. Um, yeah. The second pair is about true and false prophets or leaders or teachers. Let's read it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So Jesus is saying, around and in those times, if you're saying there's a true and false, he's assuming around them there were people, there were teachers, they were teaching the wrong thing. And now obviously, I think in the context, it's a Jewish context, Jesus speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees, but people had come along all over, they would come and pretend to love God's people. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, that there's a, there's a, there's a great... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, indictment against God's leaders. One who just 
used the sheep for their own need. And for those who came pretending to love God's people, Jesus said they are wolves dressed up like sheep. They come looking meek and mild and caring, but underneath they are ferocious. They are wolves. They've come not to feed the sheep, not to care for the sheep, but to fleece the sheep. And we need to be on our guard for that. Um, they are dangerous and deceptive. Now, that's a, for me as a teacher, preacher, that's very scary. Because I've got to go back and think, is there a chance that I'm one of those? I'm not going to take it for granted that I'm not. But it, it's, it's, is it possible that I'm really bringing bad stuff? I want to think through that really caref carefully. Um, but I think in the context of where it follows, he's saying a good teacher, a good prophet, a good leader will actually point people to the right way in Jesus. The false one is going to say, okay, Sarah, do what you like, however you like, when you like. It doesn't really matter. Everything's going to be okay. Go down the wide gate, the broad road. Go that way. It'll be fun. You'll see, will you have a great party? It'll be enjoyable. And Jesus said, no, the true teacher says, you've got to find the way because I'm taking you to a whole new kingdom. Um, and so we have to be careful of that. And then Jesus uses this illustration of fruit. What's he saying there? He's, he's saying we can be fooled for so long, but somewhere true colors will begin to show. I can stand here and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, all those things. But in time, if I don't, that will begin to show. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we are not just looking for someone who will make it, tickle our ears, make us feel good about ourselves, make us, oh, it's going to be wonderful, and actually lead us down the wrong path. Um, it's the great challenge of, of standing and speaking, I think. I think it's a great challenge of, of leading other people or even being a parent. That we actually, we want to speak the, as best we know, the right things, the truth, and lead people in the right way. Um, and I pray that as time goes on, that, our, that for me who stands here as leaders or whatever, that the fruit is good fruit. It's not bad fruit. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean anybody who leads is perfect. But it, as an overall thing, is there good fruit being produced? Is character being seen to be healthy and whole? Is the teachings to be consistent, leading to people toward Jesus? You don't feel like, oh, the leaders of our church, all they want is what they can get out of us, not what, how they love us and care for us and point us in the right way to follow Jesus, that we are the under-shepherds to the great shepherd. We are always pointing people toward Jesus. I find it quite disturbing. I don't know if you do, when I just find preachers just talking about themselves. It's all about them. It's really disturbing. But anyway, so there's another pair. First pair was narrow and wide gates. Second pair is about the leaders, those who are speaking and those who are pointing people in the right direction. There's true and there's false. So we ask for wisdom and discernment that you might know that. I ask for you to have wisdom and discernment to know that for our community. Is that all right? Moving along. Third one. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Isn't that pretty harsh? So we've got a wide and narrow gate way. We have false and true leaders. Now we have false and true followers, false and true disciples. People who look like they're following Jesus. They look like they're doing the things. They're speaking the right language. They seem to be participating in the right activities. Yet Jesus says, I never knew you because you did not do the will of my Father in heaven. So the question is, what on earth is the will of my Father in heaven? Don't you think that's a good question to ask? That's why we need, hopefully, good teachers. They will tell you that this is what you need to do so that you can choose the right way. feels like it goes together. Um, Remember the context is Jewish that Jesus is speaking here. Matthew's writing into a very, very Jewish culture. Um, and he's talking to those who say, look what I did for you, God. The scribes and the Pharisees, all the things they did. But their hearts were far from God. Remember that Jesus tells the story of the poor man and the Pharisee and they come into the temple. And the Pharisee looks at heaven. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like him. And that poor guy can't even lift his eyes. He just beats himself and says, forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Right heart, perceived right actions. And Jesus is saying, no, we need to sort this out. We need to get back to the, the real core issue here is, are we those who are obedient to what Jesus asked us to do? So what is the will of the Father? I'll try and give you some idea. I think it's a big question. But I want to say, I think at the core, the, and remember, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Yeah, this is summing up everything about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount. I think at the very core, to do the will of God, is what we started with this evening, is that we are people who love. That we love. We love with all our being. We love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember the word love is active. So we actively choosing to love God with our being. We actively choosing to love our neighbor. I've got neighbors to myself. It's really hard to love them, but I have to. Thornburg, Rapier, those sort of people. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our enemies. You know how hard that is? Well, maybe sometimes it's easier to love your enemies than your neighbor. Your neighbor you've got to see every day. Interact with them all the time. But we're called to love. Husbands, you're called to love your wives. I believe the Bible is saying, wives, you need to love your husbands. Fathers, mothers, love your children. Children, learn to love your parents. Church, love one another. As I have, Jesus says, I have loved you. This is how they will know that you are my people. Love one another. Do good to one another. 
actively seek the good of one another in the church. And then whatever you do, just by the way, anything else, whatever you want to do, do it in love. Because remember the context of that in 1 Corinthians 13 is 12 is gifts and 14 is gifts, the way the church operates, miracles, signs, prophecy, tongues, whoa, If there's no love, you're just a gonging symbol. That's what Jesus is, what Paul is saying to what Jesus said to here. You can do all the miracles and everything, but if you not know love, you've got no heart, you've got, it's just bang, noise. I think if you want to get an idea what the will of the Father is, process the Lord's Prayer. That's a, might be a way that's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what the Father's will is, maybe process the Great Commission. Maybe process Acts, that you'll be my witnesses. Maybe let's go through the whole Sermon. I don't know, but just figure it out. What is the will of the Father? What are the things that Jesus says Verily, verily, truly, I say unto you, take those things and make, be serious about them. But at least at the heart, there's this understanding of love. It's hard. Don't you feel like you just want to kick people in the face sometimes? Don't you? And I'm not even talking those outside the church. It's just the way we feel. We're human. That's why we need the Spirit of God. That's why we need deep humility. Say, God, I haven't figured it out. I need my brothers and my sisters to help me hold my leg back when I wanted to go forward and kick. Is that right? It's, this is the world we live in. Um, three sets of pairs so far. Wide and narrow gates, true and false prophets, teachers, True and false followers, disciples. And then it's, we bring this to a close. Therefore, in the light of all of this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Another pair, wise and foolish builders, rock and sand foundations. Therefore, in light of this great body of teaching, Jesus is saying, please put this into practice. Don't just be hearers. Be doers of the word. So the question I have for you, the challenge I want to leave with you, the thought I want you to contemplate as you go is, are you a practitioner or are you a hearer? Are you a doer or are you a sayer? Do you want to be a wise person? It builds upon the things that Jesus says and puts them into practice so that when storms come, it doesn't say if storms come. I know you all here. I don't know Michaela that well. I know when she was a little girl and then there's a big gap. And now I say, oh, this is Michaela, by the way. Michaela's uh, the daughter of our very, very good friends in Auckland, New Zealand. 
the last time I saw her, she was a little tyke, and now she's not. She's old enough to do a road trip around America and Mexico but with friends. So there we go. Please say hello to her. She's a wonderful person. Um, you, you're going to receive, you, you, I, I know you've all had storms, and storms test the quality of your work. The quality is not tested when things are going well. When you build a sandcastle on the beach, anyone built a sandcastle? I built them when I was a little kid. Built sandcastles and they look beautiful. And then there are two or three things that can happen. One is the stupidity of human beings who just walk over your sandcastle and you realize it just collapses. Unless you put knives and pieces of glass in like I saw people do when I was a kid. Second one, huh? Yeah, you don't want to go to the beach no more. You know, we, we, we had a, when we were kids, do you remember the paddling ponds down in Durban? They had these slides that went into this shallow pools where kids used to go, and someone put razor blades in the side of the slides one night. So as kids went down, just sliced them. They're stupid people in the world. Yeah, I remember that. Anyway. I saw people put glass in sandcastles. Okay, back to the point though. <laughs> Here's the sandcastles. There are a bunch of things that can happen. The one is that people will just walk all over it and it will fall down. The second is the tides coming in. This is going to wash it away. The third is the wind comes up. It just blows it. And it dries out. When the wind comes, the sand that was wet when you built it dries out. You can't build a sandcastle with dry sand. Kind of, kind of start. That's, we have to be careful that's not the way we're building our faith. With this dry, just sand, putting it together. There's no roots. There's no foundation. It looks so good. Look at that sandcastle. It's amazing. And three hours later, the tide comes in and it's gone. No sign. The only way you can ensure that you put deep foundations is that you actually practice what Jesus said. Nobody can, only you can do that. No one can do that for you. Only you can do that. Please become a practitioner. Be a wise person that builds for the eternal, that builds for that that cannot be breached. It's quite, it's quite sad and scary how, how faith is being breached at the moment in our world. Some of it's because we didn't believe the right things. Some of it is because we didn't keep putting in practice that which we believed. We let it slide. Life got tough. We weren't anchored. We didn't belong. We realize we just built foolishly. If you go with a thought tonight, could you go with this thought that storms reveal the quality of your building? Not good times. And they will come. And they have already come. And we can keep withstanding. Jesus, when he spoke, was always presupposing his people, his body, that we needed one another to do this well. 
Because when the storms come, if you stand by yourself, the chances are you could be washed away. But if you're arm in arm with someone else next to you, the chances are that you'll, you might get battered, but the chances are you'll remain. That's why we need one another. <clears throat> Always need one another. To hold on to one another. To care for one another. So when the winds come and the storms come, you've got something to hold on to. You've got depth that way and you've got anchoring this way. That's why you've got these people that are going to the old houses and they, what, what's the word when they reinforce them for earthquakes? There's a word, sorry? Retrofitting. Because they realize they didn't build them, build them as, as, as they should have. Some of us need to go back and retrofit. We need to go look at our faith and say, God, I need, I need some retrofitting here. I need some anchoring here. I need some in, um, bolstering here. I need to de- de- deepen the foundations because my foundation is not too deep and I'm get, getting higher and higher. If you ever go to India, they have foundations this deep and they build their house and it looks good. And then they decide to put another floor and another floor and another floor and another floor without changing the foundations and the houses start doing this. Want to go bigger? You need foundations. So let's, let's give attention to that. I think the big thing in all of this is that when Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking that there's, a, there's an immediate response, an immediate consequence, and then there's an eternal consequence. Both are in play. Because he's asking you to go through a gate onto a road that you're going to live now until that day comes. That road is not easy. He, he, he already knew, because you, you see it when he's teaching his disciples. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. The things that have happened to me, they're going to happen to you. As they persecuted me, so they'll persecute you. He knew that was coming. But he's saying, stick with a plan. Build the foundations. Keep true to it. Keep loving. Keep kind. And see what happens in the eternal. So... Some two points to close. God is committed to the quality of his church. He's totally committed to the quality. Remember when the crowds gathered? And Jesus said, unless you can eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Remember that? Imagine what those people were thinking. What? I'm going to be a cannibal? He said, they all departed. Remember that story? Twelve remained. Jesus says, what about you? Don't you want to go too? This is a hard message. Peter, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And you know, even of the 12, one lost it. And then one night, the other 11 almost lost it. And they came back and they believed. And then they met on the mountain and the resurrected Jesus was there and he's going to commission them. And some doubted. I mean, it's just, it's okay. But they anchored. God is committed to the quality and wholeness and the character of his people. This thought to close. It's easy for disappointment and hurt to throw you off course. And we get disappointed in people, and we get hurt by people. People that we were the closest to us, it can throw us off course. 
We can be seemingly disappointed by Jesus not answering our prayers or seemingly not doing what we thought he was going to do, etc., etc. And it throws us, of course, and we get disappointed in God. And we get hurt because we're human. <clears throat> at, that, at that point in time is where we need to turn to brothers and sisters and say, would you help me? Would you care for me? Would you love on me? Would you hold me? Because I feel like running away or I feel like falling or I feel like disappearing. Would you hold me tight so that I don't? I know you all. Except for Michaela. I don't, I know that you've all been hurt and bruised and battered and disappointed by all sorts of things. You know, so were the disciples because they had an expectation of Jesus that didn't come the way they expected it. But they hung in. <clears throat> Will you hang in? Will you hang in? So I'm going to put into practice the words of Jesus. Not the words of Terry, the words of Jesus. I'm going to put them into practice. I'm going to be a wise person, sending roots down deep, sending foundations to make them strong, that I'm ready. And it's not only for you, it's for your brother or your sister to your left or your right. Because you might feel strong, but when they are weak, you can anchor them. Is that okay? We, we have this responsibility toward one another. Some of us are disappointed and bruised by our earthly families. Anyone here had that experience? And so therefore we transpose, that, if that's the right word, that thought upon the family of the church. And when someone lets us down, he says, just that you can't be trusted, just like the real family. And we've got to fight that for the sake of Jesus and his name and his glory and his kingdom. That is be unshakable. In that scripture, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But what remains is a kingdom. That can never be shaken. We want to be part of that. You and I, together, doing it. Father, thank you that you don't give up on us. Actually, when it feels like you do, it's mostly because we've turned our backs and we've given up on you. But you remain faithful. You are a perfect, amazing, glorious Father who's committed to our wholeness and good character and, qual and great quality and therefore you discipline us because you love us and you nudge us and you hold us back but you're for us and you are wanting us to build an eternal kingdom. You want us to be part of that. You want us in our lives to build with eternity in mind, in our relationships with our families and everything. To build with eternity in mind. It is so easy to hand our souls over to this world. It is so attractive. Would you help us? There are great challenges that lie before us, Lord, as Christians, as believers in this world, as the church. Would you help us? 
would you help us to be saturated in your love that we can give it away every day, never running dry.